This chapel message is brought to you by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. So today we're going to talk about mentoring. Um, that's been one of CMDA's strategic plans for a lot of us. Um, definitely the um, theme for our team leader training conference that's coming up this December. Um, so I, I talked with Bird about possible books or options just to read more about that. He gave me a recommendation. I don't know if you've read much of it, but I've read probably about half of it. Um, but I loved in the beginning, um, it talks about where you would begin, which is looking at how Jesus mentored. Um, the book is called Mentoring Four Missions by Gunter Crawlman. If anyone's interested in um, the reference to it, let me know and I'll give it to you. Um, but so really at the beginning, and um, I really wanted to look at, I think it's a good place to start looking at how Jesus mentored. Um, so, and how, how did he learn? How did he learn this? You know, he's God, but at some point along the way, he was also learning as a man, as a child growing up. So Jesus was born into a Jewish home, in fact, a quite devout Jewish home. We know this because his family was um, very diligent about following the law as far as they took him to the temple to be circumcised at eight days old. Um, the family frequently went to the temple um, for um, holidays or big events like Passover. Um, we know this, remember, because they would travel to Jerusalem and back, and that wasn't required back in those days, but the particularly pious or devout did travel to Jerusalem for these festivals. So his family did that. Um, most typically they got their spiritual education and learned the Torah, um, were reinforced and memorizing the Torah from their parents, most likely the father. Um, so Jesus spoke Aramaic, which was the language of his time, but also learned Hebrew in studying the Torah, um, and probably also learned Greek through the family business. But anyway, so he learned to memorize the scripture, um, but he also learned to obey it. Um, he learned about the customs, Sabbath, and other festivals like Passover, um, but he also was quite obedient to his parents. Um, and we learn this in Luke 2.51, when it says he continued, this is after he had stayed behind to teach when he was only 12, um, and they had come back to get him. And then after it says in Luke 2.51, he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in his heart. So he was quite obedient to the family, um, but he also modeled throughout his life obedience to God, of course. Um, but Jesus also learned the importance of relationships growing up the way they did back then. Multi-generations, his whole family likely lived in one house. Um, he had four brothers, at least two sisters, um, and parents, so they all learned to live together. So they learned the importance of those relationships um, with God through his study and learning of Torah with his family. Um, they learned love, acceptance, humility, um, forgiveness, and patience. I think Joseph, we can see, was quite adept at modeling that for him, particularly the obedience part. Remember, Joseph questioned whether he should even marry Mary. Um, and so the Lord spoke to him, and he did indeed was obedient even in that, when they were probably condemned by quite a few people in their time, both of them, um, for what appeared to be um, impurity. So where did he choose to start? He started in Galilee. <clears throat> Remember, Nazareth is in Galilee. So he was raised in Galilee. In fact, Joseph was obedient in that. So they go to Bethlehem in requiring of the law um, to register his family. They escape from there into Egypt because the Lord told them, rise, take your family and go to Egypt. Um, there were people out for their lives. Um, and then when, when the people that had died that were after him, God spoke to him and said, now take your family. 
back to Canaan, back to Nazareth, and he did. So and he raised a family there um, to fulfill scripture and, and prophecy about that. But part of it, too, was that was hometown for him, home base, a little bit more comfortable. But it also was a really good area of the world, the country, to, um, to, to begin with. There was lots of good soil, so good agriculture. There was a lot of fishing. There were a lot of craft fairs and things like that back then. Um, and he frequented the synagogue there because they were devout and pious. They went regularly to the synagogue, um, which uh, according to the times in the customs in those days, the synagogue was actually more of a local community center as well. So it didn't, just like in the prairie days in the United States, the church was the school during the week, the church on Sunday, community center, you know, whenever else they needed it. The synagogue was that way. So he likely had some elementary education there, not necessarily reading and math, um, although possibly and probably, but mostly spiritual. So he, um, he knew that area well. He knew a lot of people in the area well. So when Jesus was about 15 years old, he would have become an apprentice in Joseph's workshop. So Joseph not only taught him the law and the Torah, but he also taught his trade or education. That was part of um, raising your sons, was you taught them not only about um, the Torah and the law and, and, and God, but you taught them a vocation. And so that became the family vocation. So he um, was identified that way. In Matthew 13, 55, he was identified as the carpenter's son. In Mark 6, 3, is not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So he was identified as an apprentice or as a carpenter apprentice of Joseph to the community. But not only that, in the Jewish community, different trades were considered honorable, and this was um, an honorable profession for him to have. So while he was in Palestine, which um, uh, this area was considered Palestine, um, trade was a usual or a common family enterprise. So, of course, they're trying to do high-quality work to be able to trade and sell better. So he became an apprentice of his father and probably other relatives, too. But he learned by listening by observing and then trying to imitate. So that's how they taught back then, just like we do today. Not so different even in medicine, the see one, do one, teach one. So he watched his father, how he did things, he learned how to do that, and then he imitated it, trying to do the best he could um, to continue the family business with high quality work. And then in John 5, 19 and 20, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these. So isn't that amazing? We always think of that spiritually as the father in heaven, but that's how he learned his whole life, was learning by observing his father and then his heavenly father. Um, but by doing manual labor, he was also able to identify with the working class. He could understand and identify and was a commoner. He wasn't set out to be a king on earth or anyone special that people um, would have bowed down to from a human standpoint. He learned to work with others, especially his family closely, and you can imagine how well that would go living together all day and then working together all day and then living at night and how you had to learn to get along. Um, but he also had contact with quite a diverse group of people through the business and selling and trading and all of that. He had probably learned to all levels or all classes of society, communicate with them and understand them. He learned to produce quality work again and developed the, the character traits of dedication and faithfulness, patience and commitment to excellence in order for the family business to prosper. 
He also had to learn some strategic thinking or just managerial expertise, like setting goals, prioritizing things, scheduling, budgeting, um, evaluating, reassessing, all those things that are important skills for life and for living. We don't know exactly when Jesus died, but it's likely at some point, since he's not mentioned a lot in scripture, his father died and he had to take over as the mentor to his, to his younger siblings. Um, and he yearned, learned to apprentice younger people. So all these things he grew up with is what helped him become the God we know him as. So he, um, teachers in the day were basically um, were, um, teaching disciples by, um, that was very common in that day. It was common for a rabbi to have multiple disciples. So that was sort of the way to society did it back then. So it wasn't like the way he went about um, teaching was so unusual. Um, but remember, he also, he did not have a, a formal rabbinic education. He was never a disciple of someone else. In John 7, 15, it says, The Jews were astonished, saying how this man became learned, having never been educated. So he didn't go through a formal education himself, but they really, like at 12 years old, he's teaching in a synagogue, so he's very smart, very learned, and very well um, educated. Um, but he had learned a lot of the teaching um, through his parents and through the way he was raised. Um, uh, spiritual teaching, vocational education and apprenticing. But it wasn't a formal education like was commonly thought back then. So Jesus then begins his ministry, ministry by starting with his baptism. So his public ministry anyway was by being baptized by John the Baptist. And in that moment of baptism, he received a personal assurance from God. Um, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased, Mark 1.11. Who wouldn't love to have heard that before you're beginning what's going to be a quite a hard ministry? Um, so he was baptized by water and the Holy Spirit in Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to Jordan. So when he came out of the water, he was cleansed with water and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' ministry begins, and it's a threefold preaching, teaching, and healing ministry. Um, but he launched his preaching right after baptism when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, in Matthew 4:17. So his teaching, again, he used a common method of teaching as in the rabbinic ways, uh, but with contemporary ideas that were never thought of or, or had even been heard of before. Um, so it was very common um, for the rabbis to use things like proverbs, lots of questions, illustrations, images, and parables were particularly common. So that he did so many wasn't unusual in that time that he taught a lot of people by parables. Um, but yet he was still relatable to the commoner, and he kept his message simple, relevant, and practical. In Mark 1.22, they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So he um, spoke strongly with confidence and let them know um, by how he spoke that he was speaking with authority. And in mir his miracles were an integral part of his teaching. It gave him a prominent credentials. Like if people started to doubt, they could look and see what he had done and really then, then trust again. Um, but rabbis commonly had large numbers of disciples and Jesus chose to use only 12. So that was unique for him too. When he was choosing his disciples, he spent a whole night in prayer um, asking for God's direction um, on who to choose. And um, so he was looking, um, if you could imagine, he was looking for the right caliber of man that would be suited not just to be a disciple and learn from him, 
but then to have leadership responsibilities and have courage and be bold because he knew he wasn't just training them to work with him, but to go on and carry on for him. So he chose unlearned men. So none of the disciples had had formal rabbinic training. They were all similar to him in that they'd had vocational training um, more so than anything and what you want to call um, the school of life. Um, he also um, was concerned, I would think, but would be concerned about running the risk of if they had had formal education, letting the law and the rules of the day interfere with what the Holy Spirit was trying to teach them because, of course, a lot of his teaching is counterintuitive to what we would think we would learn. Um, he wanted them to be more dependent than independent. Certainly in our country, we're, our goal is to train someone to go off, go on their own, and be completely independent and function on their own. But that wasn't the same goal that Jesus would have had. He called them to follow me, which is quite a challenge if you think about that. If you've raised children, you know. You often are thinking, you ought to do what I say and not what I've demonstrated because sometimes it's not the best. But he called them to follow him. So back in Galilee, Jesus, Jesus was focusing on this area that he thought was a strategic. Um, he picked Galileans. So 11 of the 12 disciples were Galilean. There was one who wasn't. Anyone want to guess the one who wasn't was? Judas Iscariot. So the Galileans in the day had the reputation of being impulsive, hot-tempered, but also they were pious, they were vigorous, they were tough and courageous. They were forward-looking, they were unsophisticated but zealous. And if you can think about the passion of the message, I get that that would be what Jesus would be looking for, but he also had a huge challenge in, in that type of person as well. But he also, you would think, found the most receptive hearts, the ones that were clearly able to understand how much they needed him. Um, the warmest welcome, staunchest supporters. Once they were in, they were in, and they were going to fight for him. Um, but they were all used to hard work. They were all used to um, taking risks with their business. They were inclined to persevere. Think about the fishermen, despite all the weather and the lack of fish in their nets night after night. But they also were experienced in teamwork. So, you know, the fishermen got together, and if one had a full net, other fishermen would come by and help them. So they were used to sharing the load, working together, um, and helping each other. So Jesus, in the end, chose simple-minded, energetic, easy-to-motivate men from the school of hard life. The methods that he used, disciples learned primarily just by living with him, by doing life together with Jesus. They received understanding. They had firsthand experience in watching how, responded, how he responded to difficulties. They would follow his teaching, but they also followed him as a person. They were looking for a relate. He was looking for a relationship, not just their teacher. He wanted to live life with them, to model what he wanted them to do. So he looked for those best suited for being trained to assist and later continue on with the mission without him. Christianity, remember, began as a young people's movement. Of the disciples, only one of them was married. The marriageable age back then was about 18 years old, so these were young guys. Um, so he focused more on what they could become than who they were at the time. I remember Dave Stevens talking about that when he was choosing leaders, and he said that one of the main character traits he looked at was whether they demonstrated courage in their life and their faith. So there's no formal course. He just said, come follow me. 
So there was no definite didactic time where they were taking notes and had to have tests and all of that. Um, he shared his life with them. The word disciple implies an intellectual relationship. And it's mentioned, the word disciple, 250 times in the New Testament. But Jesus used it exactly twice. And that's all. And that's because he wasn't looking for a, a, a student-teacher relationship. He was looking for a, a, a fellowship, a brotherhood. Um, so his leadership style, previously, um, there had been no thought of God as a father. And that's what he came right out with, that he's following the father, God is his father, and he will follow him. But that was really strange and unusual to them. And then he even threw out the word Abba, which is my father or daddy, and how intimate and personal that relationship was meant to be. So he also wanted to reflect his intimate relationship with him and God in heaven, but also with him and his disciples. So he desired a warm personal relationship with his disciples, which set the stage for a brotherhood or sisterhood, which we still have today. We can have that warm, intimate, personal relationship with him. So was there a formal ordination of his disciples? No. There was no plan for that. What he really was more worried about was he wanted fruit from them. He wanted to see the fruit of their lives. Not a career, he warned them of recognition, but one of denying themselves. He informed them that it required suffering early on. He wasn't trying to woo them into being his disciple. He was telling them how hard it was going to be. So, and he also was telling them this will be a lifelong commitment. You will follow me for the rest of your life. And he called them to bear witness to him. He taught truth, the author says, but they caught his attitude. Follow me was Jesus' primary method of teaching, and it still is today. The only way we can have a close relationship and learn to mentor and disciple others is by following Jesus through what we read in Scripture. He also used a team approach. Even the Godhead, if you think about it, was a team approach. Because God was in heaven, sent down his son Jesus, and in the meantime, the Holy Spirit came. So three of them working together as one. And that's the model that Jesus taught his disciples, was um, like-minded people staying together. Um, like the picture of coals burning, if you take one of those coals and push it to the side, it's going to quickly go out. But if you keep all the coals burning together, they'll all continue to burn. So this approach of teamwork with his disciples helped keep his vision alive. It maintained motivation and commitment as they could spur each other on. Likely that was used somewhat to smooth out those character edges that some of them had, like the Sons of Thunder, um, and to compensate for others' weaknesses, which is what the body of Christ should be doing now. When one is weak, we should come alongside that weak person and lift them up, not stomp them down. But he also created in them a desire to please him. They loved Jesus. And whoever you love you really want to please, too. You want to do stuff for them, which is much like our faith journey. We don't have to do anything to make Jesus love us more. But it's because we love him so much that we're trying to live Christ-like lives and model what he has modeled for others. So follow me was his life plan. He focused on his life, on following the Father, to please him, glorify him, and obey him. And the attributes he used to do this were love, compassion, caring, forgiveness, and even righteous wrath. So how did the disciples do? This is my favorite part of scripture because it's realistic in that they didn't do that great. And neither do we. We fail all the time. But it, it helps encourage me to know that even they struggled. The ones that walked with Jesus struggled. 
So they often demonstrated little faith. They were slow to learn, impulsive, impatient, argumentative. They were fearful, skeptical, and prejudiced. Jesus didn't condone any of this in silence. He quite frequently spoke out against the Pharisees and called them out for who they were, which was hypocrites. He, um, for example, in pride, he didn't openly criticize the disciples when they were prideful, but he kept pointing to humility and turning them toward humility. And how did he do that? Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So he just kept pointing back to the characteristics that he was modeling, that he wanted them to model to disciple and create disciples. One of the final acts Jesus did before he did the ultimate humbling sacrifice of his life was to wash their feet. And yes, he even washed Judas' feet. So his goal for them was not achievable, though, by mere striving. I think we can all testify to that. The more we try to do something well and try to be good, sometimes almost the worse we are at it. Um, but he was trying to teach them that this required close fellowship with him. But he did work to train them to go. Remember, he just sent the disciples out two by two and gave them powers so that they could learn to do this without him. In Matthew 10:1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So Jesus did all he could to train them while he was here, but he knew at some point he was going to have to let them go on their own. Um, but then he introduces the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 10:27, what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. So he had talked to them about he was going to go. In fact, that would be better for them because then they would have the Spirit with them to help them. But I think this is a good lesson in how God often speaks to us through the Spirit. It's not loud and shouting at us and not neon signs pointing the direction to go. It's in the darkness when all the other senses are aside and the soft voice you have to be quiet to listen to. So Jesus foreshadowed this when he told them very early on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Do you love books like that when you hear just a little, like the first chapter is a little snippet of the very end, and then you go back from the beginning to read the whole story? It was kind of like this um, for him, and that he had told them off the, right at the get-go that he was going to make them fishers of men. Not that they would have even understood that at the time. But he did send the power of the Holy Spirit to them in John 16, 14, and 15. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. But he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So we have the power to learn, understand, and model Jesus to follow him through the Holy Spirit. But Jesus didn't desire just to work through them. He wanted to work in them and then through them. So then there's the resurrection in which Jesus came back and continued to teach. He refined their commission. But the very last words Jesus spoke on earth were Acts 1.8. For you shall have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are all commissioned to be disciples for him, to be the apostles to the nations and to our own country and to our own families. Let me pray for us. Father, 
We're so thankful that you teach us through your scripture, but you do it in a way that doesn't humiliate us or embarrass when we mess up, but that we can constantly come back to you confessing our sins and asking for guidance, asking for help. Um, Give us discernment as we each go out to mentor and be mentored, um, that we will continue in both relationships being mentored by you as we reach out to others. And we pray for these um, meetings coming up and conferences and and ways that CMDA is trying to get the word out um, that we want to be disciples who create disciples. And we thank you that you let us be a part of your mission. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.